Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. Being a love extremist means committing to and choosing love as joyful activism. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz, self-proclaimed love extremist. Love can exist everywhere, and yet, when talking about it, we all seem to define it differently. There are many environments and individuals to whom love seems lost, or was never there to begin with. I want to engage myself, my guests, and you to confront love, get to know it as it appears in many forms, and learn from others who have love stories to share. I'll focus on three frames of love, self-love, love in partnership, and love in community. My intention is to uncover and share stories that shed light on love in new and often forgotten ways. What's up, everybody? You are back with another episode of Love Extremist Radio. Today, I am sitting across from Brian Donovan. He has worked as an actor for almost 30 years in hundreds of commercials and voiceovers, as well as dozens of film and television projects with numerous luminaries from across the industry. Currently, he is every kid's jiu-jitsu hero <laughs> in the world-famous anime series Naruto. In addition, Brian is the executive director of the nonprofit Los Angeles Repertory Theater, providing inner-city youth with performing arts workshops. He directed and produced their educational documentary, You Got Issues, about one of their critically acclaimed workshops. He also wrote and directed Kelly's Hollywood about his quest to fulfill his disabled sister's Hollywood dreams. Brian lives with his family and dog Cosmo in L.A., Brian, it's awesome to have you here. Uh, He's also a self-proclaimed love extremist like I, myself. That's right, baby. Um, <laughs> yeah, we. Yeah, I'm. I'm in it to to win for love. Um, yeah, thank you for the introduction. It's funny. I <laughs> as many of these. Well, I haven't done a ton, but I mean, I, I don't think I've heard my bio out loud. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's yeah, funny my dog to share. Cosmo. Um, <laughs> everybody loves that part. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me. I mean, Absolutely. it means a lot. I love what you're doing. Um, I love this mission of love. And um, I've, yeah, I'd like to think I've, I've spent my, my life on earth here um, uh, doing as much as I can for love. You know, I really, uh, I think, especially we talked right before the show started, uh, how pivotal, pivotal it is in this time that we live in that, um, that you know, I really believe we, we're, we're choosing to go one way or the, or the other. Mm. And um, I think uh, those that, that love love uh, have to step up. Mm. You know? I think they have to step up. And your point, you know, um, there's an activism to it. You know, you can't be a passive observer anymore. And I think for a long time we could. Um, but, you know, right now it's uh, we got to strap our boots and, and get in there a little bit. So. so when you say one way or the other, what is the other way? If we're not acting out of love and out of joy and, and, and really working as activists, what what is the alternative? Well, you know, as the pretenders, that lovely famous song, there's a thin line between love and hate. Um, <laughs> you know, at its simplest, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, hate. Um, but more, I think more relatable, I suppose, is, uh, is fear, you know, I mean, fear breeds hate. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think there's a lot of fear, um, in our times, uh, politically and otherwise, but, um, so yeah, I, I think, um, more and more people are playing on fears and more and more, more and more people I think are, are, um, pitting each other against, you know, groups and, um, and so that's a very, that's scary, uh, and <laughs> almost fearful to me, you know, that that's what's happening. What's, what's really interesting, 
Um, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here because I'd rather promote love. But I think what's interesting is how um, quickly those fires burn, you know, fear and hate and all that stuff. And, um, and you know, we've seen examples through time and history, of course, but, um, but it happens quick. And when you see it, uh, it's, it's very unnerving. It's, it's, um, it's, it's sad. Um, and, yeah, so I think, um, again, I, I don't want to dip into too much of the specifics because everyone has their opinion, but I'd like to think this, certainly this audience, um, you know, there's an alignment here uh, that, yeah, we just, it's at a time where we got to gotta do more. Mm-hmm. We got to do more. And I think we can't just hang out and, and wait for other people to do it. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, uh, promote love, be love, you know, um, uh, that kind of thing. I'm really fascinated by the conversation around fear and hate as being this opposite to love, largely because when I look at someone who's fearful or who is in an energy of hate, what I see is a vulnerable hurt person, right? There's that famous phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Yes, yes, yeah. And to have compassion towards that person and to say, wow, for you to be in this place of post-trauma or just having brought been brought up in such a frame that allows you to quickly light that fire, things must be really challenging for you. Yeah. And to come into a place of compassion, I was literally just listening to Fresh Air today. I was talking about a woman whose son was killed um, by gun violence in Chicago, and he was killed by an, basically a peer. And it could have gone either way. Yeah. You know, her son could have just as easily killed him. And sure. it was just who got right. to the trigger first. Yeah. And she immediately went in the state of forgiveness and reconciliation with this boy who shot her son. And there was this beautiful, like seeing him as a another person caught up in the struggle, you know? And I think it's important for us as self-proclaimed activists and lovers to acknowledge that those folks who are in hate or in fear are vulnerable and are hurting themselves. And I think the thing that maybe above that is the individuals who are using those tools as ways of controlling communities and groups and 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 taking power right and and using power to corrupt and so i'm more concerned less so with the individuals who are i think those who are affected by fear can just as easily be affected and turned to love right and and in the given the right circumstances the right tools maybe we can get there but i don't know i'd be curious to hear your thoughts about how that breathes you know like how who who's calling that you know (laughs) Well, you know, I think it's great, and I'm glad that you you were you know specific about that and pointed that out because you're you're absolutely right. I mean, it's the most vulnerable. It's the those that are hurting. Um, and so I think, again, to to your point and your your ethos and mission here, it seems with the show and otherwise, uh, that it really is our duty if we are proclaimed lovers, you know, <laughs> so to speak, um, that we uh, recognize that hurt. We recognize those the places of, you know, the roots of it and, um, and reach out, you know, reach across the line, so to speak. And, you know, as the politicians say, and, um, yeah, and it's, and that's why there is an activism to it. You know, you can't just go, oh, they're on the hate side or they're on the fearful Mm -hmm. side or they go, look how dumb they are, whatever it is, you know, these very quick labels, you know, these stone throwings that we do that's because it's so much easier, but, you know, to get in there, 
there's a wonderful, I can't remember her name, but she just, she has two documentaries right now, I think on um, uh, somewhere, but she basically, you know, um, she's Muslim and she went into white extremists and then she went to uh, ISIS and, and she has these wonderful documentaries and she just goes mm -hmm. to the belly of the beast, so to speak, and, and says, why do you hate me? Why mm -hmm. do you, you know, and she said it was, it was fearful, it was scary, her life at times was threatened, you know, and, but that's, I mean, that's an extreme case, of course, but I mean, that is an activist of love, oh right? She's gosh. going, you know, she's getting in there and she's seeing it and she's putting her life on the line and, you know, not, not all of us have to do that and very few will. Um, and I don't think it has to be that extreme, even though it's, it's, it's a great title to your show, but, <laughs> um, but there's other things we can do. I mean, you know, the fact really simply is recognizing that, you know, because we, we don't take the time to recognize that, you know, the mm -hmm. fact that you said that, because we could have, we could have gone on to next question, you know, right. and, and for you not, because I'd said it simply, oh, hate and fear, but you know, you uh, were aware enough to go, oh, well, it's, it's the vulnerable and, and that's exactly right. You know, and I think if, if we take the time to do that and see the root of that, um, you know, the abuser was the abused, you know, all those things. Um, and that's exactly right. And if we can, if we can start with compassion, um, and an open mind and, and just recognizing that that is more often than not the, the root of it. Uh, that's a great place to start, you know, and that's, um, and that's something I think we can all relate to because, you know, as, as self-actualized as we'd like to think we are at different times in our lives or not, um, you know, we all have stumbled in our lives. We've all, you know, been vulnerable. We've all had a place of hurt and things that we're trying to, um, you know, to, to get, make, be better, get better. Absolutely. Um, so it's all relatable. Um, you know, and I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great, just recognizing it was a great start. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to back up a little bit. I, I definitely want to talk about how you define love and, and, <laughs> and that, but like, I'd, I'd love to just get into your story. Like we were talking a little bit before the show and I can tell like you came up in LA in a time, at least in my life that, you kind of broached pre-internet, right? <laughs> yeah. Like pre, you know, you came here, what, in the 90s? Or? Yeah, 1990, yeah. Pre, pre, a lot, <laughs> pre a lot of things. Yeah, and, and yeah. you came in like kind of pursuing the Hollywood dream, literally, yeah. and taking any job you could get. And I'd love to hear from you kind of just your story of how you came to L.A., why, and, and, and some of... Maybe the highlight real, real yeah, quick. Yeah, sure. The, the elevator, out. the elevator pitch. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I was, um, I was 23 years old. Um, I was a nanny for three little girls in Cleveland where I went to university school. And, um, and then I got, believe it or not, I got let go. I got fired. Oh, wow. <laughs> and God love the mom. Her and I are still friends, but she, I was just too much of a free spirit for her. And I had her daughters rapping to LL Cool J and sliding down the stairs. And she was a very conservative, <laughs> lovely lady. Um, but she did, it was just too much. She's like, Got Oh my it. God, this is going to be the hardest thing. The girls love you, but I can't do it. Anyway, so then I started working as an account executive for a newspaper, now defunct newspaper in Cleveland. And at 23 out of midlife crisis, I, I saw my whole life flash before me. Um, I, I didn't, you know, I was like, Oh my God, this can't be it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and there was just a longing to, to, to always kind of move West anyway. Um, even when I was single digits, I grew up in Buffalo, New York. And I remember my best friend and I sitting in a tree at eight years old going, we got to get out of here. You know? <laughs> and then I saw a football game from San Diego, the Chargers back in the seventies and people in shorts and a t-shirt in late November. And I was like, there's a better way to live, you know, yeah, and I'm already right. wrapped up in, you know, hats and scarves and three sweaters and in my house, you know, yeah. anyway, cut to, um, I, uh, yeah, I had the, the, the midlife crisis at 23. Um, there was an, there was a, 
a company called Auto Driveway, and you basically could tell them what city you wanted to start from, which one you wanted to end up in, and you paid $200 deposit. All you had to do was pay for gas, and if a car came up that needed to be delivered to that city, you'd get called. And so that's what Whoa. I did. I delivered a car out to L.A. from Buffalo, and um, I had a music box and two bags of clothes and, and a bicycle. And uh, yeah, What's and a music for, box? For, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, here's a music box. It's about 12, yeah. Um, Is that yeah, like boom box? Yeah, boom box, boom box. Yeah, music box, boom box. And, Radio. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look it up. <laughs> Google it. Boombox. Uh, I think they're coming back. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, so yeah, I came to pursue the dream. I mean, I, I always recognized, I think, the power of media. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, and there was a lot of things I wanted to, to do with that. Um, and, you know, I wasn't like the brooding uh, Marlon Brando, you know, as more like the Michael J. Fox. I just, you know, I thought, my God, if I can make people laugh and feel better and and just for if not you know for a minute you know how cool would that be and so that was kind of my aspirations you know as a young actor um and then we were talking also we're, we're here recording at dash studios and but before it was dash long ago uh, in the 90s it was um waves and bird bars and i re- recorded my first commercial here uh, at this studio um, excuse me at this studio uh 1990 for mcdonald's i had one line um, and, and then they were I selling slowly, pizza at McDonald's. Yeah, yeah selling pizza at McDonald's. <laughs> uh, not all of you are old enough to remember that effort by McDonald's. Um, it didn't take. I think it took in Europe. I think it did take in Europe. I think it did take in Europe. That's really, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, it never took in America, though. And uh, But it wasn't the uh, the end of my career. It was just the beginning. And, and then, I, yeah, I started doing radio commercials, and that led to on-camera commercials and then film and television and um, but mostly I've, I've kind of always gone back to my roots of voice because uh, I started as a DJ a little bit in Cleveland where I went to school and had hoped to get into the business that way thinking, oh, maybe I can, you know, capitalize on that. And that's kind of what happened. And then, you know, through the years I, I did it all, I've done it all. Uh, and then it's kind of come full circle. I do, I'd say I still do mainly, you know, 60% is probably voice, um, mm. but I still do films. I just did a film late last year and stuff like that. But it's been, you know, look, I've been, I've been really lucky. I, and I, one of the smartest things I ever did was when I started making some money as an actor, I was still waiting tables. And so for the first three years, um, I just put the acting money away. Like I, I was savvy enough to go, you know, and met a couple of actors that had already had this crazy roller coaster ride, especially financially. And they're like, dude, it doesn't, you know, even the bet, it doesn't last, you know, like if you yeah. make some money, put some away and, and, you know, and so I did. And that's, that saved me. Like I had, a, I, you know, nice. I was able to kind of get a nice little rainy day, you know, nest day going and and so i waited tables for you know a couple of years after that but but i've been lucky you know I've, I've had a good run i've been here 29 years almost now and um and i've done a little bit of everything but i but i really enjoy it and the other thing on my resume the via that you read was i have a nonprofit for inner city high school kids which i also love and it's created a, a really my give back but it's also created this incredible balance to my life you know and i work with high school kids and um and it, you know it's great and i think really f- Honestly, I mean, maybe if I was a more successful actor and I could dictate my projects and, you know, I could just, you know, choose what I wanted to make in the world, um, then maybe that would be more fulfilling. But, you know, when you're a work for hire, typically as an actor, I mean, really, you're a work for hire. And so you're doing a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily feed the soul and the heart. And so that nonprofit has always given me that and working with the kids. and, And so that's been it's been a great balance. And then I have little side stuff. I did the documentary that you referenced and one before that and did a little children's show called Mighty Me, and that was all about self-esteem and self-empowerment. And um, and then most recently, what I've loved celebrating is this documentary I made about my little sister and I and the, and the journey we had together. And, uh, you know, at Simplest, it's it's a love story between a brother and a sister. And, um, yeah, 
It's an incredible film. I watched it last night. It's called Kelly's Hollywood, as I mentioned. And I'd, I'd just love to get into, I guess this is kind of the leading question, but both how you define love and how you learned to love. Mm. Like who, ta- who taught you? How did, how did that? <laughs> Cause you're such a natural, just the way that you express your projects, the way you're a very upbeat person, you know, you, you, it's, it's inherent in you. Um, you radiate that. And yet like, where, the, where does that come from? <laughs> well, thank you for that. It's um, very sweet of you to say, I mean, you know, look, I, I, I have my dark days too. And I, you know, I've, I've certainly, you know, laid in enough bathtubs, you know, in the dark, um, reevaluating life and love and all the rest. I mean, you know, but yeah, I think I've been very fortunate. I think my baseline is, is cup half full. I think, um, you know, and I do love love and I've, I've been the recipient of a lot of love. I've, um, had a wonderful examples in my life. Um, my mom, you know, is, is she's, she's built for love. She was a great mom. She was very, she was a great nurturer. She was a great, um, cheerleader, you know, and, and then my sister, the film is about um, my sister and I, but my sister was born with Down syndrome in 1969. And back then, you know, the doctors, the rote answer was institutionalized. I and mean, that's just what mm-hmm. they came out of their mouth, you know, and, um, and my mom was, you know, one of the pioneers long ago and, and said, no, I'm taking my daughter home. And so my mom, you know, set up all these wonderful examples. She married my dad, who was deaf, you know, and right. yeah, that was in 19, they met in 57, married in 59. I mean, you didn't cross those worlds. Those were very rare, you know. Um, and so my mom, you know, my mom um, just throughout her life showed wonderful examples of, of love and loving maybe outside the box or loving mm. other than and, you know, not the norm, if you will. And and so I was very fortunate that way. And so my, you know, my dad was deaf. My sister had Down syndrome. My best friend growing up had kyphosis, which in layman's terms was um, his uh, hunchback. And, mm. you know, he was... Um, very physically uh, impaired throughout his life and, and still is, but um, just a beautiful soul. And my sister was a beautiful soul, my dad. And just, I think seeing their efforts and, and the, um, you know, the, the, I guess for lack of better, the obstacles in their lives that they had to overcome um, and that strength of human character and, and mm. spirit um, was just a wonderful example. And I thought, you know, early on, and I got, I got nothing to bitch about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, at its simplest, I mean, of course, I, you know, you do. I mean, it's all contextual, I suppose, to your life. And there's, you know, like I said, there's patches. But at the end of the day, I've been very fortunate to have constant reminders of, of um, you know, that, that, that A, choose love, and B, that um, there's nothing insurmountable. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that helped. Um, and then I was around it a lot. I mean, because I had this rich... Um, organic, spectacular soulmate relationship and loving relationship with my sister from a very young age. I was very lucky to be the recipient of her love and adoration and in turn, mine to her. But I mean, so we had this constant cheerleading and this, you know, this this beautiful relationship of love and encouragement and adoration and, and just a constant, someone rooting for you. I mean, could you imagine if everyone started, you know, I liken it to a boxer, a Rocky, you know, or, but I mean, if everybody had that person cheering them on, the, the coach, the life coach, you know, mm. like, you know, just cheering them on from the corner and you can do it and, and, and also <clears throat> protecting you and knowing when to throw the towel in. But, you know, but just having someone by your side cheering you on in that way, um, that was my sister, you know, for me. And, and um, I mean, that's what a gift, you know. Mm. And so I guess... You know, to answer your question, I mean, I would, I would 
thank my sister, my mom, my dad, all these examples, you know. That's um, beautiful. Yeah, and then really some loving relationships. I, and I just came from breakfast, my best friends in town um, for something else. And I've known him since I was five years old, you know what I mean? And, and like, so we have this incredibly rich, you know, I've known him, you know, 47 years, you know, I'm 52 and I, and so, yeah, I mean, I like my friends, you know what I mean? So, I mean, all these things and um, we've stayed in each other's lives. We've, um, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know. And I value those. I mean, there's, you know, there's no, I don't take any of that lightly because I know how fragile all that is. I know how fleeting it all is. I mean, I know how shocked people are when they hear it, you know, I mean, not too many people can trace friendships back to five, you know? No, they can't. Um, yeah. So, so all those things, um, you know, I've, I've been just really lucky to, to, you know, to, to have those people in my life. Yeah. You know? That's incredible. I, I also am curious, kind of, you, you speak about like the familial love and the friendships and how you grew up with this rich privilege, really, yeah. you know, to come from such a nurturing home. What about, like, how do you really define it, though? What, like, you, you know, th th there's kind of this amorphous sense of, like, well, that familial love that's been omnipresent and I have this privilege, but yeah. what is love, really? It's a, I mean, it's a great question, right? I mean, like, when you look up uh, the definition, you know, I, I, I looked it up in all decades, but, I mean, I'm sure it's very basic, um, you know, affection, you know, extreme affection. I, who knows, you know, but, um, you know, I mean, look, the definition or my definition, I'm sure, has changed through the years. I know it have. I mean, I can tell you a funny story. I was in love my junior year in high school, you know, nice. and I had a girlfriend, Chris um, Hartman, who's we're still friends, um, and... But I loved her. I mean, it was my first, like, oh, I love this oh, girl. Yeah. And uh, anyway, cut to, um, we broke up. I was heartbroken. I mean, it, sh it shattered my perspective of love and a loving romantic relationship for like years, mm -hmm. years after that. And, um, and, but, you know, and so here's the, so here's the funny part. So here in, in, in recollection or, you know, reflection, I always thought it was my whole junior year of high school. Right. And, and it was, you know, and I look, I look at it as a year of my life. I mean, that's how I always kind of defined it or remembered it. And when I was doing, you know, research or going through all my stuff for the documentary about my sister, Kelly's Hollywood, I went through all my old journals and all this stuff and I looked in the journal, I got a little date book back in my junior year of high school and I miraculously kept it. And, and we dated, I dated this girl for six and a half weeks. It was six and a half weeks of my life, but yet she defined so much of love and a loving romantic relationship and remembering it, you know, this year of my life because it was so powerful. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, and I, you know, whatever it's, it was infatuation. It was all those other things that we mask for love or think it is love. And, and there is elements of love to that for sure. Um, but you know, how do I define it? You know, look, I, it's complex. It's layered. I don't think there's an easy answer. You know, I think it, even in my film, I, I talk about unconditional love and I don't even think, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily an unconditional love. I think there's a conditional mm -hmm. unconditional love, you know, mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, but it's, but it, it, but it is active. I mean, the one thing I do know is it, it is active and, um, and it changes and it morphs, um, and, and it comes with all these other, you know, offshoots and stuff, but, but it's, um, but it's it's magical. It's um, it's scary. It's um, it's it's courageous. Um, and I certainly think any long term uh, love and loving relationship is is all of those things. I mean, it's it's complex. Um, and um, but yet, if you do the work um, and if you 
And if you kind of break through, you know, these things that you come up against in love, mm-hmm. whether it's outside sources or, you know, things penetrating or whatever it is, or the person you love or the thing, you know, changes, um, you know, so it is, it's active that way. It's, you have to adapt. Um, but yeah, it's this organic moving, living thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so anything less than that, if you get caught with this snapshot, if you will, of like what you think that love is between you and another person or you're destined for failure, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you're destined, for, it's not going to work and it won't happen that way. It's, um, because it does change and it should, it yeah. should change, you know, just like, you know, people talk about the, you know, the reminisce about, oh, how language is so pure. And now we have people text speak and all that. And well, language is, is evolves too or devolves, but you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It moves, it changes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's whatever, not to make a comparison between language, I suppose, but you know, it is that, you know, yeah. and I think if, if it's static, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, there's no way, you know, there's no mm-hmm. way the, the picture changes, you know, just like, you know, the, I mean, my wife and I, we're 13 years deep now. And, uh, you know, I, we have this picture of, you know, really one of our first weekends together. And we, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's 13 years ago. We look younger. We are younger. Yeah. We're, it was a very different love then. Um, and now, you know, 13 years on, like if you take this same picture, if we pose this same way, you know, you got 13 years of life. You got 13 years of love. And so we mm-hmm. look differently. I mean, literally and figuratively, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's different um, and it needs to be. So anyway, that was a very long answer for a very short question, but. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you frame love so much in the framing of uh, interpersonal relationships. Mm. And in this show, I like to kind of look at love in three frames. Yeah. Um, And I see love in partnership or interpersonal as being a core one. I also see self-love as being a very important part of love and, and being a love activist. And then also love of the collective. And the collective love is kind of like doing work like your nonprofit or doing things that are giving back to make the world greater. Yeah. Right. And, and, and what's interesting to me about the framing of the interpersonal love is how oftentimes there are, um, that's one of the most like confronting and common forms of how we engage with love. Sure. Um, but it also often challenges us a lot and you get into, certain scenarios where you play out maybe the roles that your parents played, right? Like right. you speak in your, in the documentary about things like the hero complex sure. and codependency, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And these types of things that you were working through with your sister and then, you know, having to notice, and you could even see perhaps that had played out a little bit with your mom and dad or, you know, others in your life. And, yeah. you, you know, these were cues that, you had, you know, with your best friend and others. So it, it makes sense that those familiar kind of feelings might come up and, and different, you know, permutations with different relationships. Yeah. Um, but how did you, how did you work through that? And how, how, how did you kind of discover um, some of the kind of challenges to, to love that, that you were confronted with? Yeah, so you're referring to the film and stuff. I mean, obviously the codependency and, and yeah. Um, you know, I think, like I said, I mean, it's organic, it grows, it changes. Um, and so I think you're always, you know, you're always, well, if you're a, retro, you know, introspective person and you're, you care about development and your own, you know, self-growth um, and your self-love, you know, really, uh, and respecting yourself in those relationships, because mm-hmm. without it, you know, if you don't have self-love in some capacity, then, you know, then you're in trouble too, right? So, but I think, 
you know, I'm, I still, you know, I still work through those things. And I think that's, you know, back to the interpersonal love and there's relational, relational, you know, love, um, you know, it does, uh, you have to have those constant conversations, you know, you have to have that, um, introspection and you have to have that honesty with yourself and also your partner and otherwise. Um, but in the film, you know, my sister and I, because we're so close, there is a very kind of codependent relationship. Uh, and some, depending on your lens, uh, would say unhealthy. Some would say healthy. Some would say it's not my business. You know? mm. um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think you could argue, you know, all, you know, the spectrum of, of that. Um, but it, it wasn't easy. I mean, I'll be honest, um, you know, especially because I brought a third party in, you know, and it became this right. kind of love triangle. And it wasn't, you know, my sister never really had problems necessarily with the girlfriends, um, but the girlfriends and my sister had problems kind of sharing my time and my affections and my attention and things like that. So that's got, that's where it got a little tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to address a few of those, um, things, uh, quite a few, uh, especially with girlfriends because they didn't feel like there was boundaries, you know, with my sister and, and a line. And, um, uh, so, you know, I guess I, I dipped into a little therapy. Um, I dipped into, you know, finally being mature enough to have those conversations with girlfriends and recognizing that, oh, there's a through line here. Mm-hmm. And then I think, like most things, you come to big decisions in your life or changes out of necessity, you know, frankly. I mean, if you look at almost all the big things in your life, you can whittle it down to necessity more often than not because until it's necessary, you, you know, you don't necessarily change, <laughs> right. you know, and I think when it came, you know, finally, Tom, when I met my wife, um, uh, you know, I, I recognized that, wow, this is a very special woman, you know, and this mm-hmm. is someone that um, I could see, you know, spending the rest of my life making the effort, making those, you know, doing the work, you know, ma- making those changes. And so I think that was really ultimately the trigger. And because I had been hearing very similar themes throughout my life, um, you go, okay, well, this, this is the thing I got to kind of address for myself and, and relationships and otherwise. Um, but yeah, out of necessity, I think ultimately I go, okay, I gotta, I gotta change things. I gotta make everyone comfortable enough. Um, but also at the same time, you know, for your viewers that have or haven't seen the film, you know, I had to, I didn't want to abandon my sister either. So, you know, there's a constant pull right. of, and everybody really, everybody in relationships, um, has to address that in some way, shape, or form. And the variables are different. The players are different. But, I mean, ultimately, in any loving relationship, um, in a long-term loving relationship, yeah, you're constantly confronted by boundaries and compromise and, you know, those very difficult conversations of going how much, you know, what you want for yourself, that self-love that you're referring to, and selfishness, you know, mm-hmm. um, versus how much you're going to give the relationship. And, um and hopefully, often you or, you know you hope those align, you know. Mm-hmm. And when they don't, that's when it kind of stumbles a little bit. Like I, there was a very funny thing: a guy went around the country, he couldn't find a loving relationship, and and he was in his late thirties, and he was getting nervous, and he's like, mm-hmm. ah. So he decides to go around the country and interview people that have been married over fifty years. Like, what's the secret sauce, right? Right. And so he interviews this one couple. They were married, the, I think, the longest in his book. Um, 63 years or whatever, and they're both sitting on the couch, and he asks everyone the same question: Well, what is the, what's the, what's the trick? What's the, what's the sauce? Yeah. And um, and this couple looks at each other now. You know, they're deep into their 80s. You know, mm. and um, and they they look at each other's long pause, long pause, and uh, finally they kind of both smirk, and uh, she goes, "We are fortunate enough not to hate each other at the same time." 
<laughs> right? You know, right. It was just, it was so calm, you know, because it was, I mean, that's right. It was like, they were lucky enough not to hate each other at the same time. Because there was plenty of love, they, you know, but, but yeah, if, if, if both people were like, oh my God, I hate you right now and I hate right. you and that's prolonged, yeah, and you're, you're in trouble. Yeah. Um, but if, you know, one person's going, oh my God, I hate you right now and the other one's like, ah, I still love you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And you got a little, you can get through those patches, right? But it's when everybody, you know, and the, the whole party, you know, goes south, so to speak, you know. Yeah, but anyway, it's, it's always funny. And I always <laughs> think of that and chuckle because I think um, there's, you know, there's, a, there's some truth to that, right? I mean, um, but I, I wonder if the same is true about like super impassioned love, right? Like if you're both in like the hate mode for too long, what if you're both in like the obsession mode for too long and then it burns out, right? Yeah. Like you talk about like yeah. high intensity relationships where like the first six months are like firing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we, you know, we blew our load. Whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. I think so. And I think, you know, my God, there's plenty of examples of that, right? Um, mm-hmm. in our, maybe in our own lives and, and certainly witness to and, and, and in movies and everything else. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, yeah, I mean, and I, th- and, and I think really um, back to the title of the show, I think extremes of anything can get you in trouble. Right. I mean, I think you, you have to be careful. Um because yeah, I mean, there's fatigue, bonking, or otherwise. But I mean, you know, and you could use that. It's applicable to everything: sports, fitness, you know, of course. everything. And I think yeah, if you if you stretch it out, or even love, um, you know, back to your three, the collective versus you know, if you love in any one of those categories too much and ignore the others, then you're you're in trouble, right? Too. So so I think yeah, you have to constantly kind of check in with yourself and and get back to finding balance. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, be as extreme as you can for as long as you can, but then yeah, kind of back off and, and, um, and just check back in with yourself, you know? Totally. Uh, It's always about that checking in. So there's a, there's something that you underwent in probably like under a microscope because you did this documentary, but also, um, just like it's really coming to light. And I think it's something that we often experience when transitioning from the love of family and that priority around, your parents, your siblings, into the love of partnership. And there's a transition that takes place there where almost like that seat at the top of the loving pyramid that you, that you, you know, inevitably, not everyone, but many people, you know, hold their family in, then almost needs to kind of like move over so that you can make room for a partner, right? Yeah, sure. And start to build your own family with someone. Yeah, yeah. And... That transition, I think, was especially challenging for you because of the connection you had with Kelly yeah. and your, you know, your parents as well. But it seems like more so, you know, with Kelly and, and, and her not having that privilege, maybe, of being able to have that partner. And she even knew it. You know, she articulated it, too. Yeah. And in many ways, you were that partner for her. You know, it, even though she would say Colin Firth or David Hasselhoff yeah, yeah, or whoever yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, whoever you know, she was in love with at the time. It was really like y- you were that and you were living that life. Yeah. And, um, you know, that there was something really beautiful about that. But also, um, you know, I think that transition and you see that being charged and hard, you know, even if it's just you bringing your, your partner into the family and not having the sister dynamic as well. So... Curious to hear, you know, if you think about people in that frame or people who are starting to bring their partners deeper into their familial lives 
any tips, any, <laughs> any, any lessons that you've gained from that, that, uh, you know, you've really gone through it in a really imp- intense way? Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly I have, I mean, if my, my film is about a lot of things and I think the universal theme, you know, or one of the universal themes that people recognize or, or you know, they go, oh, I feel that. Right. Um, is that is, is going, okay. Um, I, I love a person and then, you know, what a romantic partner, otherwise someone comes into your life. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, unfortunately I don't have, you know, the magic wand. I wish I did for a lot of things and go, ah, you know, I got, I got to, you know, ding, you're healed. Um, um, it's going to be fine. Look, it's, 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 it's work, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and back to my necessity thing. I think if, if someone comes into your life and you do have, you know, a great relationship with your family or don't, you know, because a lot of people, and we've certainly seen just as many examples of people putting all of their love into this new partner because they right. don't, they haven't been fed, you know, throughout their childhood or whatever. Um, and it, and they didn't get that. So then they pour it all in, you know, and often those go south because then there's too much on the partner. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it starts that way because it's hot and heavy and infatuated and whatever. Um, and it's this wonderful magical ride, but then that will go south too because mm-hmm. it's, there's, you know, there's a lack of balance. And so I think if, you know, you just kind of, kind of, you have to look in the mirror every once in a while, you know, you, you got to look in the mirror and be honest with yourself and go, okay, what, what is the narrative here that I keep hearing? What is, what is the thing that keeps coming back to me? Like anything, like you, like when I made the film, you know, if I got a consistent note, you know, a feedback note, then I, you got to look at it because you got to go, okay, well, if nine out of 10 people are saying the same thing, then that's something I have to address. If one person's saying it, eh, not so much, but if 10 people are saying it, then you got to look at that. And so I think it's the same thing. If, if, you know, your partner's like in my, my situation, almost all my girlfriends kind of pointed it out. And it was very difficult for them because here they are. They don't want to criticize my relationship with my sister, this beautiful relationship I have with my sister. And they felt awful. You know, they don't want to do that. That's horrible. You know, oh, I'm going to criticize the relationship you have with your disabled sister. Like how horrific is that? You know, but they all had an opportunity or most did kind of get in there a little bit. Certainly the the significant girlfriends I had in my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, I just kept hearing the same thing and I go, okay, you know, there's obviously something here, but prior to my now wife, it wasn't, it wasn't necessary because I wasn't going the distance with them. Right. right. So I kind of ignored it. I was like, no, my sister's going to win this one. You know I mean? I got, <laughs> I got a rich history here. You know, I got 30 years with my sister. I got six months with you. You know, right. like, this isn't the conversation you want to have with me right now. Right. Um, but, but yeah, look, if you want to have a rich, you know, if for instance, the example is what you laid out, you know, you have this really wonderful familial uh, love with your family and, and, uh, and then you have you now a romantic partner and there's like a little tension there of going, okay, well, what, how do we address this? You know, when, when am I going to be number one in your life? Or when are you going to, you know, stop catering to all the things your mom wants? Or when mm-hmm. are we going to, why can't we do something else on Christmas? You know, <laughs> like, why do we always have to go home to your parents' house or whatever, you know, all that stuff. Um, and that's a very real thing for a lot of couples. Uh, I think, you know, you, you have to compromise. And, and if you were, if you're just, um, you, you don't compromise uh, eventually, I would think, um, certainly healthy relationships, it, it, it will start to fall apart because mm-hmm. there's no way that's sustainable. You know, at some point your partner is going to demand, leave, whatever, and say, mm-hmm. you never, you never compromise. You never found some sort of balance to make me feel important to make me feel like you know what i what i need is as important as to what your mom needs your sister you know whatever um and and that's fair you know and so i think ultimately at at every stage of your life you just have to look at what's important to you and like you know back to my mom who you know was my first example of love 
you know, she recognized the importance of Tempany in my life, my wife. And she, she says in the film, you know, she goes, look, your sister's had you for, for 39 years and it's right. time, you know, she's going to have to get used to sharing you that way and you need to do it for yourself. You know, so my mom was very supportive of that and, and also very um, aware and on those things. And she was, yeah, she was one of the first to say, you know, you cannot forget yourself in this journey. And if you want a loving romantic relationship and a family someday of your own, then this is, this is what it's, you know, this is what it's going to take. So, um, yeah, but I, you know, I had to muddle through it, you know, it wasn't, you know, I mean, I made a whole documentary about it. Yeah. Well, it's an incredible (laughs) documentary. I really recommend you guys all check it out. Um, because it just really, you can stream it on Amazon prime and it's just really, um, really incredible to see, how you work through that dynamic. And also, yeah, I would say for me, I was a little uncomfortable with the relationship between you and your sister. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, whoa, like that's, you know, that made me almost feel like, you know, it's so much. And also, yeah, the codependency thing is something I'm sensitive to. Yeah, Yeah. And I've actually had to go through a process in my life where I've basically cultivated a self love, you know, where I kind of like, had to shed all of the dependencies or reflections and mm. just find, okay, how can I really be in love with myself and use that as a path to heal and to joy so that I can then step into a partnership. Yeah. And now I'm exploring a partnership and um, yeah, I, I think the the dynamics of that are, are really exciting and interesting now that we've both kind of done that work around self-love. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you can fake it for a long time, but at the end of the day, you know, and I think is what your journey and I think what you're alluding to is, yeah, I mean, at some point you gotta, you gotta, you gotta sit with yourself. You gotta yeah. sit with yourself and you gotta ultimately um, ask yourself what you want and, and shedding unhealthy relationships or mm-hmm. finding it, in another place, a healthy, hopefully a healthy way, because God knows there's plenty of, you know, ways of, of loving yourself in unhealthy ways, uh, mm-hmm. or pretending to love yourself in unhealthy ways. But yeah, um, yeah, it's, it is confronting. I mean, look, I mean, the mm-hmm. film is confronting that way, I think for uh, the reasons you illustrated and otherwise, but, um, it, it's, uh, you know, in, in, in finding that balance, it's interesting, you know, cause I, I, t- <laughs> for whatever reason, people were like, oh, when they talk about codependency and stuff and I said, yeah, sometimes I liken it to um, divorced couples, you know, I have to split the kids and mm. all of a sudden one of them gets into another relationship and all of a sudden the kids are like, you know, the most important thing in this person's life but that and they have this new relationship. But, right. but yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're all looking at those things and, and I had to look at self-love too. I mean, you know, how do I fill myself up for myself, you know, because I had this constant cheerleader in my life and, and mm. vice versa and, and yeah, so what does that look like? And, and totally. not, and not just transferring what I needed and wanted from my, you know, sister or got from my sister to like my now partner and an adult mature mm-hmm. romantic and otherwise relationship, you know, um, cause that's not healthy either. You know, you don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to transfer, you know, stuff. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a constant exploration. Right. And, and I think again, back to like kind of checking in with yourself, you, you can't just sit with it, you know, cause it's never done. It's never totally. done, you know, <laughs> and, um, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it is a practice. It's also interesting because I, I I just had my best friend in here interviewing me. Oh, from, nice. Uh, best friend from high school. Oh, cool. And we were talking about kind of the nature of our friendship. And I, he he was like, why are we friends? And, you know, there's certain things because we're kind of different people in certain regard. And I had this hypothesis that like our friendship or he was like, why are we ha- why do we not have the deep conversations? You know, and I'm like, well, 
we met when we were 14. Right, and, you know, right. that kind of sets the tone yeah. for how our friendship, you know, we still have that 14-year-old humor. Yeah. And it's wonderful and it's playful and it allows us to go back to that time in our yeah. lives. And I wonder if, you know, starting a relationship with your partner, your now, your now wife, you were in your 30s, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, whereas you had built your relationship with Kelly since she was born. Right. And so I wonder if there was that kind of juxtaposition of, you and your kind of child love self and that being a refuge and a place to go with Kelly where, you know, having to be the adult and show up as the 30 year old and the man and the relationship. Uh, No, no question. I mean, absolutely. And and I think, you know, my sister allowed that. Like, I mean, look, I, I, you know, I just talked about this. I mean, there's so much as an adult, right? There's so much, you know, hitting you from all sides, you know, just Mm -hmm. um, who you're going to be, uh, making a living, you know, and now I'm a father and I, you know, I, paying the mortgage, you know, making sure the kids are going to be okay for, you know, at least while I, I'm responsible. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many things hitting you. Um, and, and, you know, I wasn't necessarily that when my sister was still alive, but, um, but absolutely. I mean, she allowed me to go back to the simplest and the purest of times, no mm. question. And, and that was a big part of our lives. Now, mind you, when you see the documentary, it's not all that. I mean, I, but I think the essence and the, 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 the genesis is very, very much a part of our lives throughout. Now, it did get more complex. You know, mm-hmm. it did. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always that. But we did, um, you know, we did, we did get back into that childlike, um, yeah, love, you know. Yeah, no question. And that, and I... And I loved that, and I mm-hmm. and I miss it. I still miss it. I mean, I'm not I'm not so evolved that I, I if my sister was still here and on this earth, um, I I relished in that um, in those those many vacations, you know, of, mm-hmm. of sharing that splendor with her, of of just two kids, just trying to have a good time in life, and and kind of going on these these grand adventures or humoring each other with you know, as you say, this almost you know sophomoric, you know, a fourteen year old, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, and. Yeah, of course. Um, but, you know, to, to also do interesting enough, you know, is, yeah, like how do relationships evolve? You know, um, you know, are you always going to be those 14 year old boys or, or do you have to have those conversations where one of you does? Why can't we dig a little deeper? Why right. can't we have the conversation? You know, yeah. and I think that's, you know, and again, these outside influences do do that. You know, and then and that's kind of what happened with my sister and I. We were right. forced to or I certainly was to. And my sister was, too. I mean, you know, she was confronted with all these things. And so. It was, it, 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 you know, we had to kind of, you know, figure it out. Mature know, the go, relationship. Yeah, mature the relationship. Absolutely. Do you feel like your work with high school students now is an opportunity to kind of get back to some of that youthful energy or is it a little bit? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, you know, you psychoanalyzing me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, man, I wish we were on couches there. I was. Uh, yeah, no, no. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I have been around kids my whole life. You know, I was a nanny. I was a babysitter. I mean, I started babysitting kids when I was 11. Um, my, I have a nonprofit for inner city high school kids. I did a children's show about, uh, you know, preschool age three to six. Uh, no question. I mean, I love kids. I love them. And, and I think my sister, um, you know, and yeah, in some ways represented that. I mean, you know, my, my mom still refers to it. Like my sister, one of the things that really chafed my sister was people always calling her a girl throughout her life, even in her thirties. And you're like, she's not a girl. And she would be like, I'm a woman, I'm a woman, I'm a woman. That was a contra mantra. And, mm. and she's damn right. She was a woman, you know, mm. but because she was intellectually, you know, stuck at, well, academically seven, 
um, certainly socially and, and self-confidence, you know, she was a savant, mm. but, you know, but there was an element of, of childlikeness, you know, and, uh, and, um, and so, yeah, I, I, and, and I do love that. I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm kind of creepy. Like I love playing with kids at parties, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I don't, I don't necessarily want to have an adult conversation all the time. In fact, hardly ever. Like, right. you know what I mean? Oh man, I'm I mean, so sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. This is, you're really killing me here, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, my, yeah, I mean, yeah, look, I, yeah, I do love, I do love, um, not, you know, there's, there's an interesting phrase, right? Child, not childish, but childlike. And, mm. and, uh, you know, I'm still, I mean, I was a camp counselor, you know, yes. up until, yeah, I mean, you know, I, yeah, of course I love all that. And, and, and I'm proud of it, frankly, because, you know, as I said, I mean, life can, it's a grueling endeavor. I mean, at times, not always, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it can be grueling. And I think, you know, kids and my sister, when she was alive, um, provided some respite. Mm-hmm. from that you know and um and i think i pretty much spell it out in the documentary but um or at least in my own mind i do but yeah i mean that's that was my certainly one of my sister's gifts to me yeah mm-hmm. and and i think for me too i mean you know she even says it. it's like you know when she went back to buffalo where we're from she had to go back to the grind and she worked too and on the assembly line with the right. you know adult disabled and and you know we were that for each other and mm-hmm. and um and it was like just a yeah it was like little mini vacations um, totally yeah but uh, now am I avoiding things? <laughs> and uh, and otherwise, yeah, I mean, maybe, who knows, you know, um, you can only do so much work on yourself. And at some point you got to just kind of be peaceful and go, okay, well, here I am, flaws and all, you know. Of course, of yeah. course, that's, that's important. I, there was a really key moment when, and I don't want to give away too much, but in the film Kelly's Hollywood when she had her grand debut and you have a line as the narrator where it was finally the opportunity for you to, for her to show how special she was to your community here in LA. And like, it seemed like they, a lot of them already knew, but there was really like this shining moment of her being on stage and performing in her humor and her joy and that being infectious. And to me, there's a nugget there that really sums up how I define love, but I'm curious you know, if, if you've revisited that as a father or, you know, in your leadership of your nonprofit or as a camp counselor, you know, that feeling of being able to shine a light on someone and their, and their strengths and their beauty, regardless of who they are. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad you, you touched on that because I mean, really coming full circle, um, and quite frankly, back to your definition of love, I, I liken it to, and I feel like I've tried to be this throughout my life is, is, is cheering someone on, you know, to me, that's love. I mean, real love is, is lifting people, you know, up, Mm -hmm. um, higher than they could go alone. You know, my sister did it for me again. A lot of people have done it for me and, and I have just tried to give back, you know, throughout my life. And I think, um, and, and back to your collective and your activism, you know, I think if we all like and when I look at my film and people celebrate my film, they celebrate it because I think they recognize that consciously or unconsciously they recognize that um, if if we did that for everyone, if we lifted each other up that way, not necessarily unconditional love, not necessarily, you know, not unhealthy stuff. But if we cheered each other on, no matter who we were, you know, my sister. Yeah, sure. She had a disability. But but, you know, regardless, um, if we just cheered each other on and gave everyone uh, an opportunity to be heard, to be listened to. I mean, like your show, frankly, you know, you're giving me opportunity 
to be heard to mm. you know not i don't know if anyone's you know i don't know who you are out there listening but yeah i mean but that's there. so important because it validates one's existence right mm. and when and and celebrates one's existence and right. when you can have that and you can give someone that opportunity or that space um safe and mm. otherwise um to express themselves uh that's you know that's a wonderful gift and it's also i think that collective love that you're talking about um and then people shine. I mean, they really do become them their best selves. And um, and not, you know, not, you know, look, my sister wasn't the greatest performer. She wasn't the greatest singer. Like, we did this live show. I mean, again, not, you know, to your point, not to give it all away. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we end up doing this live show. It was one of her, it was her dream, her lifelong dream to perform in Hollywood as a, you know, as a starlet and a diva. And, um, but, but, but it gave her purpose and passion and and if we can somehow cultivate that in other people to give, you know, and my sister still does now because I tour the film, I speak about the film. Right. I mean, she's still giving me this wonderful, rich passion and purpose in life. And that is love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like to be able to foster, nurture, cultivate that for another person, support it, um, cheer them on. Um, that is love. And I think that's that activism you're talking about. And, mm -hmm. and that's not that hard to do. I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, it's not that hard to do. Um, and if we could all just, you know, start there, um, that would be remarkable. And again, it doesn't have to be these extreme situations. It doesn't have to be someone with a disability. It doesn't have to be, it's, it can be your friends, you know, that you recognize in a way that you've never recognized them before. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe ask them, like I go around and I speak around the country. And one of the things I say is, have you asked that person in your life what they want to be. Like, you know how mm -hmm. we always get that question when we were a little kid, you know, but we stop asking. Mm -hmm. We stop asking people what their dreams are. Yes. We stop asking what you can do to support those dreams, right? And if we did, if that was a constant conversation, that would be remarkable because you would see people shine. You would see people mm -hmm. reignite those dreams that they've suppressed or that they've thrown out or whatever. And they, you know, and these, um, you know, these people that are kind of walking around, zombie or otherwise but you know they've they've been long forgotten and they've done it to themselves but they also weren't supported that way but yeah if we could just ignite that a little bit whew, amazing right i mean i look at my okay. sister in the film like you look how much she shines like you i think you said shines mm -hmm. and and it's because um a she was authentic and she loved herself and b um you know she was supported and surrounded by love and cheer um and, you know, all those things, but it took a, you know, it takes a village, so to speak, you know, it's that tribe. Right. And, and, uh, yeah, I think if we did it from, for everyone in some way, shape or form and recognize, you know, bringing us way back to the beginning of this, which, you know, you know, recognizing the people that are hurting, that are fearful, mm -hmm. that are, that are hateful, you know, um, maybe just that, you know, have a conversation with, you know, whatever it's cliche, but the, you know, the person that you don't like, or that's a little different than you or the extreme opposite of you. Like maybe you try to have a conversation with that person that you wouldn't have otherwise, you know, stuff like that. Totally. And I just want to highlight what you're saying because it's so rich, which is instead of asking people, you know, the traditional stuff, what do you do? You know, how's your, what's going on in your life right now? I think that yeah. the, the aspirational questions of what are you passionate about? What's your dream? And it, maybe how can I help you? Or just offering support in that without even asking, because sometimes people, you know, most people are conditioned not even to know how to say how you can help me, right? right, right. Or to know how to ask for help or accept help. So I find some of the most loving things that I've 
been able to do for individuals in my life is acknowledge someone's dream and hear them and, and, and learn about that and then go out of my way to do something in the service of that dream. And whether that's making an introduction to someone else or supporting them. And sometimes, you know, they take it and they run with it and sometimes they don't, but, but just recognizing that they have that potential to realize what they're looking for, what they're passionate about, what they're moving towards and supporting them in that effort. And again, not becoming the, you know, dependent steward of, of, of achieving all of what they want, but helping them along their journey and, and, and helping them in the next step. If you have that capacity and all of us do, even if it's just lighting up someone's day and sending them a cup of coffee or, you know, five bucks on Venmo or, um, you know, giving someone a, a, a healthy meal, like really at, at the root, we all have this capacity to give uh, and support people's dreams in, in whatever frame that they show up. So Yeah, no question. And I think, um, you know, back to your collective, I, I think that is the most important thing because, I mean, even if those those little gestures, they remind us of our interconnectedness, right? Mm-hmm. And And so if someone does something for you like that, even if it's, a teeny weeny little thing. It just makes them consciously or unconsciously go, oh, wow, we're, we're in this together. You know, exactly. I think that is the beauty and just that, that, that connection. Like there's a wonderful, and I do talk about this quite a bit when I do my Q and A's after film, the film and stuff, but you know, people, a lot of people ask me, oh, what didn't make the film? What, you know, what mm. was it in it that you miss? And, and there was a wonderful interview I did with one of my close friends who knew my sister from college and now he, he moved out here too and he would take her on dates. I mean, it was just wonderful, you know, to my sister. And and anyway, I interviewed him and he, and he recalls this uh, experience he had when he was in his single digits. His dad was uh, in the army and he was stationed over in Korea. Mm. And so his mom, his little brother, anyway, they were walking one day. His dad was working and, um, you know, he thought he was like eight or nine and, and they're walking and they see this man who maybe from the Korean War, I'm assuming from the Korean War, but he, he was selling newspapers and he didn't have any legs. And his um, his mom didn't say, he was staring at the gun, and, and his mom didn't say, don't stare, which is the you know mostly what you hear. Don't mm-hmm. stare, it's not polite to stare, blah, blah, blah. But she said, if you're going to stare, I want you to go up and introduce yourself. Like mm-hmm. instead of breaking the connection, you know, which isn't what parents are consciously trying to do when they say don't stare, but that's exactly what it does do. Mm. It shatters any possibility of a connection, right? Or, wow. the, you know, and it was so powerful. And I, it, it, it always slaughters me that it never, you know, it didn't make the final cut. But because um, I just thought it was such a rich, wonderful example of that. Like, you know, when we see someone or unfamiliar, we're, you know, we're just maybe go up and introduce yourself. Like, like, totally. like how rich, right? And what a, what a small but beautiful little life lesson of going... You know, don't say don't stare, go up and say hello, you know, and that's, and that's, that's really, again, back to my, it doesn't take much, you know, it it really doesn't, you know, it doesn't. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why we can all be activists. You know, we don't have to do the crazy extremes necessarily, but we can be extreme with the simplicity of it, you know? Yeah. And I would argue that bringing a smile connecting with a stranger Offering your attention in this time is a, an act of activism. Yeah. And, you know, I use the word extremist to capture attention and, and to be a provocateur, but I also believe that it doesn't take much, unfortunately, yeah. to be an extremist for love right now. Yeah. And going out of your way to break the 
attention on, on your technology or in yourself and moving into the frame of how you can really be attentive in the world and just, yeah, get back. I, I love that example. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's powerful, you know, and, and, and yeah. And I think we, we have to be, you know, to technology and what have you. I mean, look, every time in history is, is relative, uh, you know, and we all, uh, you know, I, I say I've been on, around long enough to go oh, in simpler times. Like I sound like an old <laughs> fargy, old, uh, old fart, but, um, but yeah, but I mean, certainly with technology, I mean, we do have to be a little more conscious and aware of, of how, you know, kind of in this rabbit hole of, you know, the, the bent neck and the, the, you know, totally. <laughs> the rabid thumbs. And, but yeah, I think we do have to, you know, try to step away, which is why I'm, I do feel very fortunate to have my nonprofit to, kind of give kids this space um, to express themselves and, and also to check in and, and try to figure out what they are dreaming and who they are. You know, we do this one exercise. It's so simple, which you probably love because of your, you know, your show and the ethos of your show. But, you know, there's a, there's an exercise we have. It's just called I Love, I Hate, I Dream. And we give these kids the opportunity to get up on stage and just say what they love, what they hate, and what they dream, you know. Wow. And it's that simple. But you're giving these, you know, and we participate too. We always participate as, as you know, staff and volunteers, but, you know, but, but yeah, it just gives everyone a space to articulate and say it out loud and kind of own it, but also to share it. And, and, um, but yeah, just to say, I love, I hate, I dream, you know, and, and just letting that go, you know, putting that in the, you know, uh, is, is powerful. That's um, so cool. Yeah. Well, we're coming to wrap up time and I hate to end this conversation because it's been so amazing and, you know, I love talking to you. Yeah, I went right back at you, um, man. So fun. So easy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. I, I hate my unconsciousness <laughs> uh, when I just go about the world, you know, in my addiction to technology and I'm not actually paying attention to the world around me and I dream for... Uh, a world where we all connect from the heart with consciousness and with attention. Yeah, and, beautiful. Um, Makes you feel better, right? Just right? saying it out it loud. It feels so good. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Do that in the mirror every morning, everyone. Yeah, yeah. So where can people find you? What's the best way for us to stay abreast of what you're up to? Yeah, well, I am an old fart, so my my, my social media isn't quite what I'd like it to be, I suppose, in this world. Um, or maybe it is. It's exactly what I'd like it to be. But yeah. um, but what I'm most proud of, I suppose, uh, and what you can follow very easily is um, Kelly's Hollywood uh, has a Facebook page. You just go to Kelly's Hollywood um, and there's, you know, wonderful things. I post a lot about the movie and the journey I've had and the tours and stuff, but I also post a lot of fun things that I have curated that I think, you know, show all these things that we're talking about, you know, show compassion and inclusion and equality and, um, you know, all these beautiful things. Uh, and so, you know, it's kind of nice. I mean, it's, it's just a nice little, and I don't post very often, like, I, you know, a couple times a week at best, so it's not an onslaught. Um, you can also find me on, you know, Instagram, uh, Brian Donovan underscore one, the number one. Um, and of course, Facebook, you know, Brian Donovan, there's also Kelly's Hollywood, uh, Twitter page, which I'm not that savvy. With. <laughs> I've never quite nice. embraced Twitter for whatever reason, but, uh, but yeah, you can find it. And, you know, really, uh, if you get a chance to see the film, um, I, I would, you know, I think your audience in advance, I, I think I always like to say that it's really easy to recommend. Um, mm -hmm. especially if you love, love, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, and it's got a nice, you know, rocky ending. I, I tried to have a nice coda mm -hmm. there that, you know, left it with a, with a upbeat, you know, arms raised, triumphant, you know, 
we can do this. But um, but yeah, if you if you come to the film, it was on Showtime for a couple of years, but now it's it's easy to find. It's on Amazon and Amazon Prime. So if you're a Prime member, it's free. It's there's a very cheap rental slash blah blah blah. If you're not, um, and say hello. You know, I'm, I I would love to hear from you if you come to the film or not. I just want to reach out after this uh, this interview and, and the show. Uh, please do, um, and I'll cheer you on. Oh, <laughs> I'll cheer well, you thank on. you, Brian. Yeah, this has been such an honor to talk to you here. I'm really glad we were connected. And yeah, me too. Thank uh, you, Jamie. Jamie's yeah, out thank there. You, Jamie. Thank you, Jamie. You rock. <laughs> and um, definitely check out Kelly's Hollywood. It was it's an amazing film and definitely brings up a lot of important themes in around love and and family and just a depth of connection that's really special. So, to take us out, what's your favorite love song? <laughs> yeah, this one's, you know, it's funny because you told me right before <laughs> the show that you play it at the end. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this isn't exactly the most uplifting love song. But, you know, it's only because it's it's such a part of uh, my history with my sister. We started singing The Rose when we were very young. Um, Bette Midler's The Rose from the movie The Rose. And um, it's a little melancholy. I'm not going to lie. You're not going to be tapping your foot or jumping up and down and rolling down your window screaming. But that's okay. Um, but it's a lovely, lovely song. And, um, you know, we do edit it throughout our lives. It's in the film. Um, it was in our final, in our show. It, yeah, it's, it's just, it's nostalgic. It's all those things. And I think, you know, clearly it's, um, it, it represents a lot of my relationship with my sister. And, and, uh, and it was, yeah, we sang it. We've sung it since it came out, I think. So, um, yeah, anyway, but yeah, The Rose. Amazing. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> Bette Midler's The Rose. Well, thank you, Brian. This has been Love Extremist Radio. Thanks for tuning in. And I'm Ethan Lipsitz, at Ethan Lipsitz, The Love Extremist on Instagram. And please rate, share, comment, uh, listen, and, and tune in to every week where we share a little bit of love. Have a wonderful one, and we'll see you next time. Yes. Go ahead, Maestro, play that song. I always like that song. Hello, Mom.
chance It's the one who won't be taken Who cannot seem to give And the soul afraid of dying That never That with a son's love in the spring.